You're tuning in to Tales from the Desolate Highway, your one-stop shop for the history of post-apocalyptic literature. I'm your host, Nathan Ogloff. Let's fire this bad boy up. Alright guys, here's what's been going on with me. So I'll start off with saying some actual book stuff as opposed to me just talking about my social media and query letter stuff. So uh, I started reading the Satanic Verses and I'm about a quarter of the way into the book. Now, the only reason I'm reading this is just to see what all the fuss was about. I do know that back in the day it was quite controversial and I might learn a thing or two about that. Mostly that, if I don't know how to market myself, then the last trick I'll use is to make my book as controversial as possible because it worked with that guy. Uh, I've also been distracted with Lord of the Rings Online. I know it's a shit excuse, but there was this expansion I wanted to go through, and I did. And now it's over. Now I can concentrate on what's important, which is this week's book. Nightmare Number 3, written in... 1935 by Stephen Vincent Benet. So, as mentioned last week, this is an actual poem and not a novel, and here's a little summary of the poem. It's basically about technology gone wrong, so it starts off with the narrator, uh, unnamed, stating how there were all these hints being dropped that the machines were up to something, and it would have been apparent if only people had paid attention, but they didn't. So they get to see cars running people over on Madison Avenue and buses coming out of nowhere, running down stockbrokers on the racket club steps. But let's be honest, they had it coming. People start hiding from the cars because cars got tired of people's shit. Then the elevators go mad. Telephone strangle Art Zukow, who uh, I'm guessing is the narrator's boss, but I'm not quite sure. At this point, because it's never really explained. Uh, the narrator then flees to the roof of his office building, hoping the window cleaner joins him for company. But aw shucks, the swing stage got him. So the narrator is like, alright, fuck that, I'm going to go to the country. At least I'll be away from all the tech, and then he hopes to, to make a deal with the horses, hoping that they don't pull an animal farm, because, you know, that'd be inconvenient at this point. And then he uh, kind of starts to get into denial about the whole thing, so he uh, says that the machines are going to need maintenance at one point, and if this is so, maybe we can strike a deal. Even if we were slaves to the machines, it'll be fine, because weren't we kind of slaves all along to them? Uh, things like that, and saying it doesn't make sense to wipe out the whole human race, now does it? And if he's going to strike a deal, he'll start with his car. It's a Plymouth, an American car. And because he bought an American car, he's a good American. Because he also treated that car right, the Plymouth, and no other vehicle will eat him. So he thinks it'll all be fine unless tech uh, has acquired a taste for people. Uh, he did see a concrete mixer eat one, but then he says the mixer may have made a mistake being caught up in the moment at all. And it is on this little moment of doubt we end the poem with. Uh, so to fill out the rest of this episode, I'll read the actual poem before uh, I dive into some analysis and remarks about it. I will do that for you guys. And I'll do it in my gravelly voice too. We had expected everything but revolt, and I kind of wonder myself when they started thinking, but there's no dice in that now. I've heard fellows say they must have planned it for years, and maybe they did. Looking back, you can find little incidences... Here and there, like the concrete mixer in Jersey eating the WAP, or the roto-press that printed fiddle-dee-dee in a three-color process all over Senator Sloop. 
just as he was making a speech. The thing about that was, how could it walk upstairs? But it was upstairs, clicking and mumbling in the Senate chamber. They had to knock out the wall to take it away, and the wrecking crew said it grinned. It was only the best machines, of course, the superhuman machines, the ones we'd built to be better than flesh and bone. But the cars were in it, of course, and they hunted us like rabbits through the cramped streets on that bloody Monday. The Madison Avenue buses started leading the charge. The buses were pretty bad, but I'll not forget the smash of glass when the Dusenberg left the showroom and pinned three brokers to the racket club steps, or the long howl of the horns when they saw men run when they saw them looking for holes in the solid ground. I guess they were tired of being ridden in, in and stopped and started by pygmy, pygmies for silly ends of rap wrapping cheap cigarettes and bad chocolate bars, collecting nickels and waving platinum hair, and letting six million people live in a town. I guess it was the... I guess they got tired of us, and the whole smell of human hands. But it was a shock to climb 16 flights of stairs to Art Zukow's office, nobody took the elevators twice, and find him strangled to death in a nest of telephones, the octopus tendrils waving over his head. And a sort of quiet humming filled the air. Do they eat? There was red, but I did not look to stop. I did not stop to look, and I don't know yet how I got to the roof in time. And it's lonely here on the roof. For a while, I thought that window cleaner would make it and keep me company. But they got him with his own hoist at the sixteenth floor, and then dragged him in with a squeal. You see, they cooperate. Well, he taught them that. And it's fair enough, I suppose. You see, we built them. We taught them to think for themselves. It was bound to come. You can see it was bound to come. And it won't be so bad in the country. I hate to think of the reapers running wild in the Kansas fields and the transport planes like hawks on a chicken yard. But the horses might help. We might make a deal with the horses. At least, you've more chance out there. And they need us too. They're bound to realize that once they calm down. They'll need oil and spare parts and adjustments and tuning up. Slaves? Well, in a way, you know, we were slaves before. There won't be much real difference. Honest, there won't. I wish I hadn't looked into the beauty parlor and seen what was happening there, but those are female machines and a bit high-strung. Oh, we'll settle down. We'll arrange it. We'll compromise. It won't make sense to wipe out the whole human race. Why... I bet if I went to my Plymouth right now, of course, you'd have to do it in the tactful way, and said, Look here, who got you the swell French horn? He won't turn me over to those police cars. At least, I don't think he would. Oh, it's going to be Jake. There won't be so much difference, honest. There won't. And I'd go down in a minute and take my chance. I'm a good American, and I always like them. Except for one small detail that bothers me. And that's because... And that's the food proposition, because you see, the concrete mixer may have made a mistake, and it looks like just high spirits, but if it's got so they like the flavor, well... Alright guys, so let's uh, dive into what's going on here, because that was the end. Uh, so as you can see, it's the apocalyptic part of this podcast, not the post-apocalyptic, because the shit is hitting the fan, not already hit the fan, and we can... Also see, very early on, uh, this was 1935 after all, the birth of the idea of cybernetics, which I found fascinating and hope you do too. It is one poem of the many poems in Binet's 
uh, Nightmare Poem series, although at the moment I don't really know what the other poems are. But what I do know is that, and if you didn't figure this out, that's okay. It was in the far reaches of my head, but I won't claim that I figured it out either. Uh, the poem is an, is an analogy for the rise of fascism in Europe uh, in many ways. There's the whole little signs that if you pay attention to them, you notice something, but if not, it's a gradual rise and you don't notice it until it's too late. And there are the incidences happening right now elsewhere, away from everyone else. The machines had a few little instances here and there, some violent, others humorous, until they started running people down to the street. You know, that line is clearly referencing that. Uh, with regards to this periodic denial, it's similar to the denial that the Nazis will overrun all of Europe. They will eventually be reasoned with, right? Uh, now, there is a that casual bit of racism that was thrown about, and we don't know if it's insignificant or has a purpose. Let's just assume it does for the moment. So it could be that Stephen, as he illustrated how people can be blind to the times until it's too late, was admitting that he himself was blind to the times. Uh, if not, if that's not the case, then if it still has a purpose, it shows how racism is used by fascist governments to keep people at each other's throats and away and weigh the hell away from them. Uh, all in all, with its dangers of technology run amok and people being blissfully unaware of the world's problems until it's too late, I'd say this poem eerily speaks as true today as it did when it was written. And that's all I got for you. Nightmare number three, ladies and gentlemen. Bye. Stephen Vincent Benet. Next time on Tales from the Desolate Highway, I talk about Wild Harbor. And if you want to know what undoes us this time, I'll just tell you right now. It's another fucking world war. Here we go again. You've been listening to another episode of Tales from the Desolate Highway. Make sure to follow me on Twitter at UnusualAuthor and Instagram at UnconventionalAuthor. As always, thanks for tuning in.